that. On ktalk.co.za On the app On DSTV channel 885 And across the city on 567 AM Kevin Brand is standing by, EWN reporter, senior reporter Kevin Brand, uh, giving you the latest that's coming out of South Africa. Kev, good morning. How's it going? As I'm doing very well, and you? You can, you can, you can. I can, couldn't you hear it? Uh, I even yes. made, I even made a. Whoa, I now no, I'm yes, doing it I again. Love I love that the, the ending there, <laughs> but it shows just the positivity that we have, as you say. Uh, despite all the doom and gloom tech in the country, in the world at the moment, you know we love for these positive moments. Ah uh, no, I've, I think for for today, and I and you know me, I'm one of the I'm one of the people that will complain a lot. I don't mind complaining, but man, it's good to feel so positive once in a while. Listen, talking about uh, uh, being positive, uh, there was a Formula E race that uh, took place in Cape Town yesterday. That's correct, Abs, and I believe that you're going to be speaking to Ian Banner, the promoter of uh, EPRI, later in the show. So I'm not going to go much into a lot of detail with regard to the technicalities and, and the racing event itself. However, Antonio Felix, the Costa East from the Tag Heuer Porsche team, he won the inaugural Cape Town EPRI yesterday. And just on the back of you, talking about how beautiful Cape Town is, it was very nice um, and, and warm to hear the commentators, as well as the host there, um, also in Super Sport, raving about the beauty of the city. They're showing all these beautiful aerial shots, the coastline. Many of them say that they didn't know, um, you know, they didn't know that the coastline of Cape Town, for, for instance, is so beautiful. But in general, very good news coming from people who attended um, the event, but also the organizers, you know, saying how clean the city is, how well-maintained it is. And it's very good. Uh, a fellow colleague of mine said that it's a very good advertisement for the city of Cape Town and what we as the city and South Africa as a whole can offer, you know, if we pull together and, and to deliver these events. But a very a very good EPRI is there for the first time in Cape Town, 25,000 sellout event. Um, there were also a number of events taking place on the side. I made my way um, to the e-movement. There was a huge ground where everything electric was on display. So you could see electric vehicles from your top automakers. Um, there were a number of, of uh, you know, engineering sites there that showed how charging stations worked. I spoke to people in particular with regard to electric vehicles. Is it able for us to roll it out in the midst of our power challenges? Stay very much positive that it can be done. So fantastic side events taking place there. One in particular was ESCOM being there. And I don't know if you've seen that that created a lot of uh, traction on social media, Have Yeah, man. Uh, it's been absolutely crazy, Kev. Yes, one of one of one of the reasons why ESCOM ESCOM um, was one of the sponsors of EPRI, uh, but they had a store there to show off their solar capabilities uh, and and the latest in elect, electric vehicle um, you know plans that they have to change the fleet at ESCOM. One of them that I got to spoke to and he spoke to me about a microgrid 
and that is uh, his Nick Singh is the head of Smart Grid Center at ESCOM, and they had like a shipping container there on the side, huge solar panels there, and basically what it can do is to provide electricity to very far out communities, far flung communities, and Nick spoke to me a bit about what that specific container does, why they were there. Here's what he said, Ab. It's a containerized microgrid. Um, it's basically there to look at poverty eradication and universal access to electricity. So the system is a 12-meter container, fully fledged with PV panels, battery storage. A single container can power up to 40 low-cost houses. Right. So that's quite amazing. We've had projects running from as early as 2017, where we have tested the technology, and we've recently just installed two in Swartkop, which is in Uppington. The, uh, an example, the, 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 no, uh, the closest line would have been 240 kilometers to get there. We managed to install this here using two microgrids, and it came to less than 4 million rand. So you can see the cost comparison. Okay, um, Everything is done locally. So the plant is at Komati Power Station, where we are now locally manufacturing this, these plants. And um, all the fabrication, the wiring, all the configuration is done locally. Yeah. Uh, you know what was interesting, Kev? Um, because I've uh, attended many of the events. I was, you know, you, I was at the EFS Electric. We also had uh, the EV uh, event. Uh, we're driving around in electric cars. And I know I'm bragging right now because I wanted to because <laughs> I had a good time. I had an absolute fantastic time driving this. Yeah. <laughs> driving those electric vehicles. But, you know, um, many people on social media coming at ESCOM. And meanwhile, uh, the more I read the comments, I, I kept thinking, but... Guys, you have to understand, as much as ESCOM is in the dogs right now, it doesn't mean the machine stops moving. they exactly. got to think That's beyond. You know, load shedding is one side of it. There's a whole other big side. There's all different sides of ESCOM. Definitely so, Abs. And I also got the sense that a lot of people on social media and making these comments are really very ill-informed with regard to, yes, we have this issue, but it doesn't mean that the machinery of of forward thinking and, and innovation in terms of the space of electricity and ESCOM is in a key position in the country to be able to facilitate that because of its obviously its rollout and its extensive um, you know grid expansion in the country. They have to get involved with some of these initiatives and to to ensure that we as a country are able to roll it out successfully. A key thing that was emphasized was cooperation with the private sector, who obviously, uh, you know, spent a lot of research and, and have now already done a, a lot to enable the rollout of such technologies here. ESCOM said they're going to have to partner with the private sector in order to make the rollout of, of e um, e-mobility in the country a success app. So I think people should read up a bit before they comment on just ESCOM being there and being uh, stage six, we obviously know that it is very detrimental to the economy. It is a nuisance for everybody, but yeah, people should inform themselves. Yeah, and I look at, I, I, and I understand where the people are coming from because I'm one of those also. As much as I mean, I understand, but I, yeah. I just need to vent out once in a while, like bloody, yeah. you go and you don't talk electricity to us. <laughs> okay, Kev. <laughs> uh, listen, so. yeah, it is 19 minutes.
minutes after seven. If you just joined in on the conversation, my name is Wabungile Gonzalez, standing in for Sarah J. This, you're listening to the voice of EWN uh, senior uh, senior uh, um, senior reporter, that is Kevin Brandt, talking to us about the latest coming out of South Africa. Kev, uh, in this conversation, we've been listening, we've been watching while we praise the beautiful city of Cape Town. The University of Cape Town, on the other hand, has been in the news, and it's not been some um, beautiful news. Yes, as uh, you know, recently it was the demonstration there from the students with regard to registration and fee blocks at the institution that they were protesting about, but also uh, a lot of news uh, you know, coming forward with regard to Professor Mamogheti Pakeng. She is the vice chancellor um, of the IKE's campus. Most recently, an internal memo. Um, uh, that reached the media and, and the public, and that is from, um, you know, the Chancellor Babawa Ngonyama. She, was, she issued the, the um, communication to, to the university, and it's outlining that um, it would appoint an interim vice-chancellor after terminating the employment contract of its current principal, Professor Pakeng, the university uh, dropped part of an independent investigation into governance crisis that we've heard about last year related to Pakeng's conduct concerning alleged bullying at the institution. Now, in this memo, it said that the outgoing vice chancellor had agreed to take early retirement with effect from the 3rd of March, um, saying that the university has reached an agreement with Professor Pakeng, which requires any public announcement and press statements to be mutually agreed to between Professor Pakeng and the university. And uh, Hungunyama says that unfortunately, despite their best endeavors, they've not been able to reach an agreement as yet as to how the mechanics of this communication, I believe, should be working. So we do expect, you know, a bit more clarity, seeing that we're heading to the end of February and, you know, early March this week, we should be able to hear maybe a bit more from the University of Ketane as to how they're going to navigate this this issue with regard to Prof- Professor Pakeng going forward. And uh, obviously, as expected on social media, we've seen both sides, um, you know, from from. Professor Pakeng supporters, but also the those against what's happening at the institution, um, you know, speaking out and being very vocal with regard to UCT and the happenings they have. Look, we've heard about the elections in Nigeria on the EWN News Bulletin uh, up on top, but I'm just running out of time now. But a very interesting story that I know you've covered uh, is uh, the the fact that in Pumalanga, the police's uh, p- police commissioner, <laughs> is on suspension. Uh, wait, where, when, where have I had that before? Oh yeah, in South Africa. <laughs> As, yes, once again, police governance and police conduct is is in the spotlight this time in Mpumalanga with the National Commissioner of the SAPS, uh, Fani Masimola, suspending Mpumalanga's top cop Lieutenant General Semakaleng Manamela on Friday. He told News 24 um, they've confirmed the suspension, but only said that Manamela was suspended over allegations with uh, misconduct, so no detail yet as with regard to what exactly these uh, misconduct charges relates to. Uh, Manamela was appointed as the provincial commissioner in 2021. So also, uh, once again, perhaps we do expect 
the SAPS to give us a bit more detail in particular with regard to what what exactly the alleged misconduct charges is about. There was also an issue just in a different province in the Northern Cape. There, there was a, an incident where a police uh, officer during the very early hours of the morning, he drove straight into, I believe, was a tree, uh, quite extensive damage done to um, is the, the SAPS vehicle but it was said that the officer fell asleep, that he was simply tired. So it also shows the, you know, the, the humanity side of, of police officials, that they're human too, that they patrol, that they do patrol communities when you and I are most probably asleep, that some of them are out there to do good work. But on the other end of the scale, obviously you get this, these type of stories where the, the management of police and the conduct of some of the officials I question apps. Kevin, thank you so thank you so very much for joining us on the show today. Have a lovely Sunday morning further. You too. Fantastic day to you as well and enjoy the rest of the beauty of Cape Town. Oh most of Cape Townian. Most definitely. Cape Talk. WhatsApp 072 567 Katie McDonald joining you all the way from Sydney, Australia. Katie, good morning, afternoon, evening. Yeah, because I always forget where you are. (laughs) Katie, how's it going in Australia? You happy? It's good to be chatting to you again. Yeah, no, all good. We've got a bit of a heat wave happening. Um, So, yeah, just trying to survive, but also enjoying another beautiful country. Most countries are beautiful. Yeah. It's often the the inhabitants that create <laughs> drama. Don't tell Cape Tonians. Don't don't tell Cape Tonians and South Africans that they won't like to hear that. Katie, uh, I've watched oh. the movie. I've watched the movie. It was absolute fun, and I thought they couldn't top the first Top Gun movie, and they outdid themselves in the second one. But oh. I believe you've got a real Top Gun story. We do indeed, and and yeah, I agree with you um, with regards to the movie. Um, I was mesmerized. But yes, look, um, this is a, an originally a U.S. citizen, a U.S. Uh, Marine Corps, was with the U.S. Marine Corps, a fighter pilot who is now an Australian citizen and um, recently moved here, was living here with his Australian wife and children. Now, he was arrested last year in October um, upon request by American authorities, essentially the FBI, sorry, and indicted in the United States on charges, which include conspiracy to unlawfully export defense services to China, money laundering, violating the Arms Control Act and such. So he's been arrested and he's being held here. Interestingly enough, um, part of what he's accused of is training uh, Chinese fighter pilots in South Africa between 2010 and 2012 at a flight school there. So he's sitting in Silverwater Jail, which is one of the jails here in Sydney, and he's in what are referred to, or he's being held in degrading circumstances. Now, his wife is lodging a complaint to the United Nations Human Rights Committee, just noting his uh, his suffering, the fact that he's not being accused of, well, he's, this is the first time he's been accused of anything. He is considered non-violent, yet they have him shackled. They have him in a tiny little cell. They say that it's unprecedented with regards to um, Australia's rule of law. 
and it just should not be happening. He denies all charges. He feels that he's a bit of a um, political scapegoat. And the, well, uh, the extradition hasn't, obviously hasn't been ruled upon yet. But Abs, what was really interesting too, I, I found, was that there was supposed to be a committee coming out from the United Nations to have a look at Australia's um, prisons and detention facilities and such. And that visit was actually cancelled because two of the states wouldn't give them access. So it's not a good look for Australia. And it's concerning, obviously. You know, we've got another very high-profile person, Julian Assange, who's also being, um, well, as you know, he's being held in the UK. And the United States want to extradite him. So it's, uh, yeah, a lot of concern over what the government is doing, what they should be doing, what they're not doing, and if this is how things are done in Australia. And we wait to see what's going to be happening. Then talking about Australia, the intelligence authorities are also having to answer some questions also. Yeah, it didn't really mean to sort of, you know, head in this direction. But... Um, the Director General of our intelligence agency, ASIO, uh, had a meeting and gave a report back on their activities, what they've been doing, obviously, the non-classified side. And he essentially said that, yeah, one of the things that they had been involved with and completed successfully was an operation that busted what they refer to as a hive of foreign spies. So this is an ongoing investigation in which they targeted certain um, people that were posing as diplomats and the like and had been operating in Australia for more than 18 months in many locations. They did not or he did not refer to any country in particular. Uh, you know, just he didn't sort of attribute um, the spying operations to any country you can well imagine that there are question marks hanging over uh, the Russian contingents and other, uh, yeah, such um, countries here. But it's also, it's concerning because, you know, you mentioned that ASIO as an intelligence agency is the busiest that it has been since its inception 75 years ago. Busier than during the Cold War, busier than um, straight after 9-11. And that they've got a lot of operations that they're targeting in Australia. And it just, it, it's kind of almost surreal. Uh, I'm not denying or downplaying concerns at all, but, you know, we often tend to think of ourselves as this, you know, country at the end of the world and, you know, we don't, we don't create a lot of drama and, you know, why would anyone want to be checking up what's, you know, as to what's been happening here? But we have been more overtly linked to the U.S. through things like the AUKUS agreement and um, to the United Kingdom, so that could be why. But, yeah, our spy agency is on high alert. It's Top Gun. It's the spy agency. And now uh, the Prime Minister has attended the Mardi Gras. <laughs> Australia. Yeah, I, I mentioned this after we got out speaking to Zane because it's was the beginning of World Pride, which um, Sydney uh, successfully is hosting at the moment. 
And we had our iconic Mardi Gras um, march last night. It's the first time since COVID that they could actually hold it as they usually did. It goes down Oxford Street and Massive Street here in Sydney. It had more than 12,000 participants, over 200 floats. It's a wonderful, wonderful event, hugely colourful. And um, as our Prime Minister, uh, Anthony Albanese, said, it's a celebration of modern Australia. Now, he is not the first leader to attend, because Malcolm Turnbull apparently did attend in 2016, but Albo marched, and Albo's been marching since the 80s. So it's not the first time that he's marched, but the first time as a prime minister. And interestingly enough, one of the first reports that I read was they were commenting on his attire, because um, he was dressed in jeans and a shirt. Uh, he said that, look, it wasn't for him to detract from the more colourful elements of the march. But he was there. He was in, par- um, in front of, sorry, the Labour Party uh, float and with other parliamentarians and, yeah, Labour politicians. So apparently it was an absolute hoot. And, yeah, we, we're a rainbow city. I mean, we are, generally. But... As the city is so colourful at the moment. It's just beautiful to see. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, listen, Katie, I have run out of time. Uh, but from your side, maybe is there anything else that we need to be aware of coming out of uh, Sydney or Australia? No, just, um, I, you know, a quick thing. Harry Styles is in concert. He, I don't know if you're familiar with the downy, where you take a shoe and you down alcohol out of it. Anyway, he was, you know, taken to task for doing that at one of his concerts. And then there's a whole thing, you know, it's an Australian tradition, but is it really and is it good? And, uh, yeah, apart from that, it's hot. We've got the normal complaints um, from the public with regards to, yeah, financial or, yeah, financial issues, you know, cost of living that's ongoing. And I know that we're not alone uh, with regards to those struggles economically. But apart from the heat and... Yeah, which is a good thing. I'm not complaining, but it's a good thing. But all, all's pretty okay down under, I think. I think, Adongile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all have our issues. We just have to be okay with it. Kerry, thank you so very much for joining us on the show today. Have a wonderful day further. And you too. Thank you so very much. Katie McDonald, all the way out from Sydney.